I don't say this enough. I think um, I, I was sitting here just thinking about what a blessing Ryan Wingo is and how throughout my ministry, just the hardest hire is always the music minister hire uh, because they tend to bring the most drama and um, just the, I, I don't, I don't think we realize how rare it is what we have in Ryan Wingo and just listening to lead us to worship and what he's doing on Sunday morning. It's absolutely incredible. And I'm really, really grateful to the Lord, Ryan. I'm really, really grateful. Amen. Plus, we really have fun together and we laugh a lot. And it's really uh, great to yell back and forth in our offices uh, and talk about all kinds of stuff that you wouldn't want to hear. So anyway, it's great. Hey, if you don't have a little card here, I want to encourage you to get one. Uh, they're by the back door. If you didn't grab one, I'm sorry, you can get one of those and go back there. We're trying to do that every week just to allow you to kind of follow along with what we're doing. Uh, every week, we're trying to build uh, a case. So we did five weeks on life of worship. And every week, in that. We're just trying to build a case. We're trying to, uh, to talk about what it means to live a life of worship, and every week builds upon another. And so we're in our third week of life in community, and we're trying to do the same thing. We're just building a case for what it looks like to live, particularly in this little uh, series here, a life in community. So we began week one by talking about the fact that God is community and created us in his image for community, meaning it is impossible for us in life to live life to the fullest or ever experience God's best or ever make dramatic spiritual progress or ever be what God wants us to be without community because God created us for this. So in isolation, outside of a relationship with other people, good, intentional, Christian, thoughtful relationships, know this, you will never be all that God wants you to be. It's impossible because God has created you in his image. You must have community. And by community, we've defined that as sacrificially participating in each other's lives. So what we mean by that is, by community, we're saying you involved in other people's lives, sacrificially participating, they're participating in your life, you in their life. Just know this, God has created you that way. There will be a massive void of spiritual growth if that's not a reality in your life. Then we talked about uh, last week, well, I didn't. Uh, Scott beautifully, eloquently, thoughtfully uh, talked about how sin makes that almost impossible. Sin dramatically affected our relationships. It uh, made us try to find that community and other things. It caused us to run in shame and to hide from community. And so there's this massive block. So here's this reality that we are to live, a massive block, sin, affects every relationship, right? Can, can just as a guy who's done a lot of marriage counseling, even in my own home, uh, there is just sin messes up relationships, doesn't it? It just messes up every relationship. Every relationship we're in messes up and it messes up our ability to continue those relationships. In my little midweek video today, which I don't need to say this because I know you all watched it, but I talked about that little passage in Hebrews 12 about a root of bitterness and how there's nothing that destroys a marriage, a family, anything more than bitterness. And that's just undealt with sin. It's just anger that hasn't been dealt with. And so sin just destroys these relationships. So tonight, kind of the next logical progression is this, is that how do we then get back restored into the kind of relationships God wants us to have? And the answer is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So my main point for tonight, which is on your sheet, is that through his redemption, Christ has reconciled us to God and to one another. 
Sounds simple, but what I want us to begin to understand and see in a way maybe we haven't before is that when we think about the gospel and the effects of the gospel, this is not just about my personal relationship with God. The gospel is about my relationship with you. That if I'm going to have a right relationship with God, I have to have the gospel, right? I, I have to have Jesus in the exact same way. If there is any hope of ever having real community, ever, in any way, in your marriage, in the church, in any way, it has to come through the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is only through redemption, which we sang about just a moment ago, that we are reconciled to God and others. So tonight, I'm going to focus on two passages. I'm going to get there in a minute. Colossians 1 and Ephesians 2 that kind of flesh that out for us just a little bit. But I want to start by helping us understand how those three um, concepts work together so far. So created for community, can't flourish without it. Uh, and then this idea of sin breaking that community and messing all of that up, and then Christ dying to bring it back together. And I want to talk about that with this familiar diagram to many of you, the three circles. We're going to put it up on the screen, but you can see it right here as well. Uh, this is kind of more of a reason, I think, Sky, didn't I, I think I spent a whole Sunday going through three circles about a year or so ago. This is a really helpful gospel presentation. It was actually created as a way to bridge from normal conversations to the gospel by looking for areas of brokenness in people's lives. So in normal conversation, people always talk about something that's broken, anything, like whether it be their relationships or marriage or whether it be political systems or just everything's broken. When that comes up, this is an easy bridge into that. But I think this is gonna help us understand community in a way uh, that shows how necessary it is to have Christ. So that first circle is God's design, meaning God has created us to have a right relationship with him, to be in intimate relationships with each other. He has created us to be whole and to do well, to thrive, but that's not the reality of our lives. The reality of our lives is that we are broken. There is no area of your life that is not broken, amen? Every area of your life, emotionally, physically, spiritually, sexually, every area of your life in some way is broken. Now the little squiggly lines there show that everybody's trying to fix their brokenness because no matter how lost you are, you know you're broken and everybody tries to fix it, but they all try to fix it without Jesus and it just leads those outward arrows to more brokenness. If you try to fix the longing of your heart with material possessions, do you lead to less brokenness or more brokenness? More brokenness. So it just everything that people use to fix their brokenness leads to more brokenness. So God, seeing our brokenness, sent his son, Jesus Christ, who lived exactly according to God's design. He was the second Adam. He was the son of God who lived perfectly and never sinned. Exactly God's design. And God has so ordained it that through his death, burial, and resurrection, we can then be brought back full circle into a right relationship with him where we experience wholeness once again. And the way we do that is that we turn from brokenness and turn toward Jesus Christ. So we say, I recognize my life is broken. I turn from it. I turn and hold on to Jesus as the only hope for which I can be made whole again. Now, this is important right here, this last little arrow, because this is a deep conviction of mine. I talk about this in subtle ways in almost every sermon I ever preach. Most believers, I believe, stop at that bottom circle, meaning 
they come to a place in their life where they say a prayer, maybe legitimately, maybe not, but they say, Lord, I know I need you. I know I'm broken, so I'm coming to you. And they just assume that at that moment, that's the end. They did it, they're good. But the truth is, is that's really the beginning. Because what happens at that moment is that by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the very Holy Spirit of God is placed inside of your life. You're no longer bound as a slave, but you're freed as a child and as a son. And it's only at that moment that you can get back on the path to wholeness. So when you come to know Jesus Christ, you don't immediately go back to God's design. But what happens is you have the ability to make progress back to God's design. But you have to, by a spirit-infused will, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So God has done a work in you, right here in the gospel, you must then work that out. And as you work that out by pursuing intimacy with him and intimacy with others, then what happens is you begin to make progress back towards recovery to God's design, slowly, but surely. And God is working in your life, listen, through every circumstance, through every person for this arrow right here. Everything in your life, if you're a believer, is this arrow, everything. Everything God's doing in your life is about God saying, I wanna move you in progress. I wanna, I wanna make you whole again. The difficult moments, the hard moments, everything is about God moving you back to his design. You say, what does that have to do with community? Well, the truth is it has everything to do with community because when we think about the gospel of Jesus Christ, we almost always think just in terms of what Christ has done for me. What I want you to see is this, that little box there where God's design has been broken, relationships were broken. It is impossible to have true intimacy and have real relationships with anyone unless you go through Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ did not just die to fix your relationship with him. He died to fix your relationship with other people. This is so important. And I think in our individualistic society, we always tend to think, well, my relationship with Jesus is just about me and the Lord. And then we fail to put Jesus into every other relationship. But know this, if sin made everything broken, including every relationship you've ever had or ever will have, the only way to make those relationships right is through Jesus Christ. So we need to think about the gospel in terms of how it made our relationships difficult. It certainly did for Adam and Eve and how the only way back to right relationships is the Lord Jesus Christ. And think about this. When you get back to God's design, which by the way, this is all leading us back to heaven where we get back to God's design. That's ultimate. You know what's going to be right there? All of our relationships, all of our relationships with other people are going to be right there. No more conflict, no more fighting, no more bitterness, no more anger, no more resentment. That's going to be right. So if in heaven, we're going to be brought back to that original design of good, right relationships, certainly at salvation, God is bringing us back there. But our responsibility in the midst of that is try to make progress back towards wholeness in relationships thinking today that we know, because this has been hammered into us as Protestants, we know that we could never try to fix our relationship with God by our own effort. You know that. I mean, that's, that's basic. But what we seem to fail to understand is that you also can't fix your relationships by your own effort. You fix your relationships by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
that you have to have Jesus to make any relationship work. This is why Jesus says, don't be unequally yoked. Because if this person has Jesus and this person doesn't have Jesus, it's gonna be very difficult for there to ever be true intimacy there. When you got two people that do know Jesus, it's super complicated, right? Amen? And so the only hope that we have of getting back into our relationships is pursuing that pathway through Jesus Christ back to real community. So based upon that, I wanna give you a couple of truths tonight that will try to help us understand how that works. The first one is there on your sheet. It is this. Through Christ's redemption, we've been freed from the rule and reign of sin. So this idea of redemption means that we have been purchased. So I'm gonna give you a couple of words here. Redemption is to be purchased at a price out of slavery. The word ransom is the price that has been paid for redemption. So it says, I think in the song we sang, his blood has been our ransom. So Jesus said in Mark 10, 25, the son of man has not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. So Jesus's life was the ransom for our redemption. So Jesus said, I want to purchase them. And the response was, well, there must be a ransom. There must be a price paid. And the price paid was Jesus's own life. So he gave his life for our redemption. It says that in Colossians 1:13. Look at this. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. So that little circle up there of brokenness is actual bondage. We were enslaved. We were spiritually dead. We were spiritually disobedient. We were spiritually doomed. We were slaves to sin. We were in the kingdom of darkness. So the only way for us to get out of that slavery is for someone to redeem us by the price of a ransom. So Jesus said, I will redeem them. I will purchase them through my own blood and bring them back to myself. That is what has happened. And in that moment, God purchased us from slavery and brought us to himself. So it was through Jesus Christ and his death that we ever got out of here, that second circle, and got into the third circle, which put us on its way to wholeness. Now, that means, truth number two, that through Christ's redemptions, we are reconciled to God and man. So I've given you three R words, redemption, to be purchased out of slavery, ransom, the price that was paid, and then reconciliation. Meaning through the redemption of Christ, because Jesus purchased us, he bought us from slavery by his own blood, because he purchased us, it is possible for us to be reconciled. It is through his redemption that we're reconciled to God and reconciled to each other. So we've talked about the three circles. Think about the bridge illustration. If you're old school Baptist, you know the bridge illustration. So uh, God is here and man is here. And the bridge in between is the cross of Jesus Christ. But the reality is, is not only did the cross make it possible for us to get in right relationship with God, that cross reconciled us to other people as well. So the redemption that Jesus Christ did on your behalf was not just to get you right to him, it was to get you right to other people because God created you. His design is not only to know him, but to have right relationships with other people. So through his redemption, we're reconciled to others. 
Look at Colossians 1, uh, 20 and 21. It says, I'm going to read 20 through um, 22. Actually, I'm going to start with 19. All right. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things. God was making all things right, including our relationships, whether things on earth or in heaven, making peace, not just with God, but with each other by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now, here's that word, reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister." So the point I want you to see is this, is Jesus redeemed us, he purchased us, he got us out of this box here, and he did that so that we might be reconciled to him and to each other. So the foundation of our relationships with each other is the death of Jesus Christ. If it wasn't for the gospel, you could not have any true community with anyone. Now, I think one of the best examples of that is in Ephesians chapter two. So look over at that next text. I wanna read you some verses from Ephesians chapter two talking more specifically about this reconciliation of individual people. So the context of the book of Ephesians is that Paul is writing to Gentiles who have been saved, but they're confused about their place in the kingdom. This is what Paul, in almost all of his letters, is writing about. He's writing about these Judaizers who come in, these Jews who say, well, yes, it's possible for you to be saved, but... You're not really one of us. And if you want to really get in all the blessings, you've got to, uh, you've got to be like us. You've got to be circumcised and all these things. So here's these Gentiles who are saved, but yet they're not sure if they get in on all the promises of God. So the first three chapters of Ephesians is helping the believers understand this. This is how you explain Ephesians 1. If you are in Christ, Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter. Every blessing in the heavenly places is yours. So the Gentiles understood that the Jews were chosen, the chosen people. This is why in Ephesians 1, Paul says this, you are the chosen people of God. Because he's saying to the Gentiles, you too are a part of the chosen people of God. Who are those that are chosen? Anyone who's saved. The saved are the chosen people of God. And so he's trying to get them to understand that there is nothing that they got that you don't get. You get every spiritual blessing. And then he comes back in Ephesians 2 and tries to help them to understand how they have been brought back into relationship with God and each other through the cross. So look at Ephesians 2. I'm going to read a few verses here, starting in verse 11. He says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, meaning the Jews called you of the uncircumcised, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. So they were not only disconnected from God, but disconnected from others, it says. Having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and he has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. That is not just the hostility between God and man, that's the hostility between Jew and Gentile. There's lots of hostility. He's broken down that hostility. 
And it says, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, Jews and Gentiles, so making peace between them. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both, Jews and Gentiles, have access in one spirit to the Father. So then now, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole strict structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built, to get built together into the dwelling place for God by the spirit. So he says to them, you were separated, you were alienated, you were strangers, but now, because of Christ Jesus, you've been brought near, you have peace, the wall of hostility has been broken down, and what has God done? He's made one new man. So listen to this. Through the gospel of Jesus Christ, God is creating a new people. A new people that have the ability to have deep relationships one with another. To have a supernatural spiritual connection that you can't have with anyone else. And the reason God has done that is because he knows it's impossible for you to ever be whole and ever to make spiritual progress unless you have those relationships. This is what Jesus has done. He's died to allow you to have deep, personal, Christian relationships that are the only way to bringing you back to wholeness. This has all happened because of what Jesus has done on the cross. So Jesus has redeemed us to put us back in relationship with one another. Listen to me. The only hope you have of any real intimacy in your marriage or any real community with anyone in the church and any community at all is if both believers will understand that through the power of Jesus Christ, it is possible for them to have something that no one else on earth can have but those who've been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, the last point is this. This is kind of where it becomes practical. Is that now that we have been delivered out of brokenness and through the gospel are on our way back. And remember what I said, that I think we have emphasized in the church a lot of this. You got to get saved, but not a lot of you got to be acting saved. Okay. So what I want to say here is, okay, God, through his death, has made it possible for us to have right relationships but now we have to make the effort to have those relationships. And this is what Ephesians talks about. So Ephesians says very clearly that now that it is possible for us to have those, we must then work hard to preserve those relationships and to make them happen. So the apostle Paul has been working for three chapters in Ephesians, helping them to understand you got all the blessings. You're the chosen people of God, just like the Jews that God has broken down hostility. God has made one new man. Unity is there now. And then look at what he says in chapter four of Ephesians. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Okay, look at me here. You can't create unity only Christ can create unity. You can't create the ability to have those type of relationships, but 
you must preserve that which Christ has died to make possible. Meaning, Christ made it possible for you to have right relationships with other people. But you have to work through the power of the Holy Spirit to make sure those relationships keep working. Because once we're saved, we've still got sin. And we still have conflict in relationships. And so now it is possible for us to go deeper. It is possible for us to have better relationships, but we must work by confessing our sin and doing the things that God has called us to do in order to make those relationships continue to work. So we must then be eager to maintain, to be zealous, to make effort, to pursue these relationships. Now, the reason I wanted you to see this in light of the gospel because I wanted you to understand that Jesus died. He died so that you could have good relationships with other people. He died to make that possible. And now he's saying to you, I gave my life so that I could bring you back to wholeness. And a massive part of that wholeness is your relationships. Now, if that's true, the devil is gonna do everything he can to mess up every relationship you have. Because the devil knows that you're never going to get into back, back into wholeness without those relationships. So he's going to do everything he can to kill your marriage, to kill your relationships, to, to, to get you to take that bitterness, that frustration, that anger, and make it kind of linger and be unresolved and get a root that messes up everyone. Like bitterness is one of the primary tools of the enemy to get you to take some little irritation or some hurt or even something really significant that happened to you that wasn't your fault, that was done to you, and instead of resolving it and taking it to Jesus Christ and through the power of the gospel dealing with it, it gets a root down here and defiles many. It just messes up everything. So the enemy is doing everything he can to try to destroy every relationship you have. Listen, marriage is spiritual warfare. Community is spiritual warfare. Our community groups are spiritual warfare. Every friendship is spiritual warfare because the enemy doesn't want you to have any of them. The enemy wants you to live in shame. He wants you to hide. He wants you to be isolated. The last thing he wants you to have is good relationships. So what do we have to do? We have to fight for those relationships. And what I love about the Ephesians 4 is that I really believe it gives us kind of four virtues that help us develop those relationships. They're right there in Ephesians 4. And I just want us to, I'm not really going to say much about them. This is more for your uh, meditation and prayer uh, after we leave tonight. But look at what it says. How, how do you maintain unity? Well, humility, with all humility, and he already clarified that a little bit earlier in the book with all humility and gentleness with patience bearing with one another in love you know what kills relationships pride that's almost it actually pride pride in relationships the other person's pride not yours it's the other person always the other person so humility is the answer to that like if i consider other person always better than myself, and I'm seeking to serve them and not to be served. Well, that resolves a lot of conflict. Gentleness as opposed to harshness, as opposed to anger, gentleness, patience, and then bearing with one another in love. By the way, just like the, the real translation of that is putting up with one another in love. You know why? Because all of us are just kind of a pain to be around. 
Like, you are. I am. My wife would testify that we're all just kind of a pain to be with, you know, because we're all sinners. And so we bear with one another in love. Out of love, we just, we put up with one another and we, we're patient with one another and we're gentle with one another and we're humble with one another. And those are really the virtues that lead us into the experience of what God created us to have. Now, the last thing I'll say is this, and then we've got eight minutes for questions. Two things. First of all, if, if, if Christ died to make it possible for the very first time for you to have good relationships with other people, and if he knows that the only way you're ever going to really make progress is through that relationships, how sad is it for you not to pursue those relationships? And second of all, if all those relationships and the health of them depends upon the gospel of Jesus Christ, then your intimacy with God directly affects your intimacy with anybody else. Because if you're not walking with Jesus, you're never going to be really walking in good relationships with anyone else. You'll never have humility and gentleness and patience and love in the flesh. Truth is, we got to wake up every morning saying, God, without you, I'm going to ruin every relationship I've got today. Do you, do you some, some of you married folks and just those of you who have good friends, you know that in like 30 seconds, you can mess up the whole day. Do we know this? You can mess up everything really quickly. We need the Lord constantly. What the Lord wants you to understand tonight is this, is that he desperately wants you to have those relationships. He's made it possible for you to have them. And now he's asking you by the power of the Holy Spirit to pursue them for the sake of your own soul. Let me pray for us. And then if you've got any questions, I'll try to get this thing working tonight. All right.